Hi, this is Steve O'Mooney, and you're listening to another great show only on the 4i Radio Network. For more great shows, feel free to check out www.4iradio.com. to episode 87 of Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast. It's time for another adventure in the world of Pokemon. I'm your host, Doug, and I'm Team Groudon, because today we're talking about creating a brand new land inhabited by Pokemon and people who love them. Of course, Victory Road is a production of the Four-Eyed Radio Network and is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design to fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And as always, please subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you're listening. Those ratings and reviews make Victory Road much more visible and easier to find. As always, I'm joined by a brilliant and beautiful guest co-host. Today I'm welcoming back one of the co-hosts of Distant Echoes, a Star Wars podcast. It's Tommy. Welcome back, Tommy. Yay! I am so (laughs) happy to be here. Yes, yes. Uh, And we're going to dive in pretty quickly uh, to what we're doing, but I do have a question for you before we get into why I've brought you here today. (laughs) Absolutely. Did you happen to see the recent, like, 13-minute gameplay trailer for Pokemon Legends Arceus? I didn't, and and not because I'm not super excited for the game, but because I was, like... Choosing not to watch it? Yeah, I, I was like, <laughs> I part of me was like, I should go watch this. But then part of me was also like, I really kind of just want to go into this mm-hmm. with as fresh of eyes as I can. Because it's such yeah. a, it's going to be such a new experience regardless. Right. Um, and so anyway, long, long-winded answer to say, no, I have not actually watched it. But I'm so excited just in general for the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we're, we're at, at the time of recording this only two weeks out. And when this drops, like a week and a half. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's rapidly approaching. Uh, and I'm, I'm very stoked. And you're, you're not alone in that sentiment. Both of my, co-hosts from novel gaming took different approaches one of them watched it like i did and one of them uh basically is like i want it to stay as mysterious as possible kind of like uh like you're in like in the in the same boat as you yeah i mean i've seen i've seen like images from some of the gameplay so obviously i mean it's hard i mean it's impossible not to see some of it right I'm not I'm not going as far as to like mute it on Twitter or anything like that. It's just, you know, I'm I'm trying to just stay away from like some of the pure gameplay stuff cuz I'm like I don't know if it's like the opening of the game or like what it is and I'm like I just want I just want it that to be my experience, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. That's uh that's what I did pretty much with Sword and Shield to the best of my ability, you know, mm-hmm. like I uh I really tried to avoid as much as possible uh, given I had a podcast about <laughs> the subject matter, uh, I still managed to to really not know a whole lot going in. It's very rewarding, so I definitely support your decision, but uh, can't wait for that game. And uh, unsurprisingly, the episode after this one, we'll, we'll be talking about that. So uh, something to look forward to for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I am so excited for the episode and for the game itself. Yes. So today, though... What we're doing, uh, I'm sure folks saw the title, Creating a Pokemon Region. So what's that all about? Let me let me break it down. <laughs> so uh, I 
have always been fascinated by and interested in creating a Pokemon region. And this is a thing that people online do all the time. Artists do it. Writers do it. People commission folks to help them do it. Um, and so the internet is like rich with like fan made Pokemon regions. And I'm always looking at them. Like I follow an absurd number of like fan artists who specifically do like fake mon and Pokemon regions on Instagram. It's like 50% of my like discover page is just people's <laughs> like fan made <laughs> Pokemon stuff. And I've always been like, I want to do that. But here's the thing. I am not a motivated artist or a motivated writer. <laughs> so I thought to myself, how could I create a region uh, and, and hold myself accountable to that like production? And I thought, well, the one thing I am sort of constantly motivated to make, for better or worse, is podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to create a Pokemon region here uh, on Victory Road. Um, it'll be sort of Victory Road's... Uh, own Pokemon region. Uh, I don't know what we'll do with it outside of the creation of it, but I I hope that it sort of takes on a little bit of life of its own. And the thing that's going to be really cool about it is I want this to be ongoing and collaborative. So I want all of my guests and guest co-hosts to be able to contribute to this region. So today we're going to like kick off this project but it's going to be going for as long as it's fun, basically, um, and as long as the world still feels like it needs filling, um, <laughs> and and co-hosts are going to help me do that. So uh, I'm really excited about this idea, but I've never made a whole world before, you know? <laughs> I've never created, <laughs> like I said, not a big artist or writer, um, or, or at least a motivated one. So I... This is new new grounds for me. This is where Tommy comes in. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> so I was thinking as I was I was like I should I should do something with this on the podcast. I was like, well, who can I bring on that'll be able to sort of help me out and like point me in a direction and give me some advice? And I thought, well, wait a second. Just over a year ago or so, I started playing in my very first ongoing Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And Tommy is my GM or DM. I don't know what you actually prefer. <laughs> I, e either is fine with me. <laughs> I, yeah. I just prefer the, the I, I don't know. Both of the both of those terms can be weird sometimes, but <laughs> game facilitator, I don't know. There you go. You're you, yeah, you're the you're the campaign leader or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, if if folks aren't familiar, DM and GM stand for dungeon master and game master. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think people recently have been trying to figure out ways to make that a less power-based term <laughs> yeah so a lot of people nowadays are sort of like i don't know if i really want to be called either one but the idea is it's somebody who runs a campaign in dungeons and dragons or similar system so i thought well what better person than the person who 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 has created the world that i'm currently exploring and actively thinking about <laughs> through through D D than you <laughs> oh gosh so i asked tommy tommy what i guess before we get into any of the nitty-gritty like what is your background with D&D? &D? And then I guess, how did you get into the role of like running a campaign? My background with D&D &D actually goes back quite a while. So there's kind of like this pre-actual D&D phase, and then there's the mm -hmm. actual D&D &D phase. So I, I, I was exposed to D&D &D when I was... I, I, it was either late middle school or like early, early high school. My best friend when I was growing up, 
uh, Chris at the time, we kind of got a hold of some of the, the rule books and we just started, you know, like messing around with playing games. And we would do, we did a couple like with his stepbrother, like one off adventures and things like that as players. And then he and I, even a couple of times that just like one, like one person kind of DMing, it was him. And then, you know, me playing it very, very, uh, basic role playing stuff. It was like, you're walking down a path and a bird attacks you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. As simple as it gets. Um, and then that kind of went a little bit further. We got some of our other friends involved. We played a few games here and there, but it was just mostly kind of like testing the waters, uh, I, I would say. And then it was it was later in college that I was like reintroduced to it uh, with a group, the group one of the groups that I actually still play with to this day, um, and uh, someone who's been on the show before as well, Derek. Um, mm-hmm. He he was uh, kind of brought into that group as well, and and we just started playing in college with just this group of people who we were introduced to through various just dif- different. Um, uh hobbies and things like that and we decided to to throw together a uh a D party i was a player at the time um and then it just kind of went on from there and various different people have taken over the helm of dm gm kind of game facilitator over the years and and even with that group i got my first kind of chance at uh running a, a campaign and running a kind of creating my own world we didn't play that one too long because i was really new to it and was like very it's anxiety inducing when you're in your own (laughs) world and you have to control everything and kind of be in the know about a lot of stuff sure and so i kind of i you know did that i got a taste of it and i was like i just kind of want to be more of a player um and then it was as you said it was about a a year ago over a year ago now i think that we started playing and Mm -hmm. I can't remember if – I think Derek might have mentioned it to me at first of – I actually think he said that you might have been interested in playing like a and d campaign um, Mm -hmm. and kind of asked me if that was something I would be interested in, you know, trying to run a game with. And I'm so glad that I did. I actually had kind of the idea for the world that we're currently playing in in my head for probably like two or three years. Um, Oh, dang. Yeah, and – it's a funny story. I actually kind of planned out and plotted out a few different things when I was going to take a trip with like some other friends and stuff like that. And I was going to kind of introduce it. Then we ended up not playing on that trip. The story kind of just kind of marinated for a while. And I was so glad that Derek asked that because it kind of forced me to kind of actually put, put pen to paper and, and kind of start creating, creating the world. And then we brought in the group that we, currently play with um which was is mostly new folks who are newer to the game um Mm -hmm. and so i kind of approached it from something that was i wanted it to be something that was approachable but also engaging um and hopefully fingers crossed that's been that's been the case so um, yeah absolutely it's very cool because half of our half of our group are brand new players uh, so the majority of the party playing the game, since you're facilitating, are new players. And so Derek, who's been playing for a while, um, and then Cassie, who's also been on the show as part of our party, she's been playing for a while. Mm-hmm. And so the three of us who are like new, like toddlers in the world have like two experienced players inside our party who can kind of like help us out if we're like, uh, <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> but also too, it's, it's, I actually think that having something that's been a great, experience for me and i think this is something that will translate to what you're going to be doing with creating the pokemon world is that having people who are new to the role-playing experience or to collaborative storytelling is 
very, very nice. And it's very, uh, it inspiring is kind of the word that comes to mind because there's so many things that are, are just new, right. To, to you all. Right. And, and, and it's things that like, you know, as in franchise players, you might often overlook, but it's stuff that's like, it's so essential to the experience of just seeing that connection, right. With, with people connecting to the world and connecting to the other players in the group mm-hmm. for the first time. It's it's something that like has reinvigorated my love for just co- whether it's collaborative storytelling or D and D in general. Um, yeah. It's been, it's been just a really, really great experience um, to be, to be quite honest. Um, and it's one of my favorite kind of experiences I've had playing D and D. So no, I mean, it truly, it truly, truly has. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I think, I think again, I think that can kind of carry over to what you're doing too, because I think you're going to have a lot of folks who have never, may have never thought mm-hmm. about, you know, adding or doing something that is kind of this co- collaborative storytelling experience and it's going to it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm really excited for it because even though this isn't necessarily me setting out to create a world that anyone's playing a game in or that I'm going to be actively creating fiction for anything like that, like those things could happen, but it's not the goal, right? It it's it's sort of like this collaborative world-building experience where like I think stories will kind of just enter into the world without my planning them to, mm-hmm. right? So if somebody, if a, if a future guest host comes on and says, you know, I have this great idea for a gym leader and here's their backstory. Well, bam, there's a story that's like in this world that I never would have thought of before. Absolutely. And that's just going to sort of enrich this place. And then that might spark the next guest host or me to be like, oh, that's really cool. So wouldn't it be cool if there was like an echo of this or a mirror of that or a rival to this or, you know, something something that that backs that up or a history here. So I think it'll be really cool. I think it'll just be all of us who are a part of this sort of bouncing off of each other in this sort of long-term collaborative build. Yeah, and can I just say too, I mm-hmm. I would be willing I would be willing to bet uh money that uh I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but you were like, I don't know if I'll do fiction or anything like that. This is going to stick in your mind so much. Absolutely. And like it, you're going <laughs> to it once you get into building a world it's hard to like not think about it a lot of the times that's yeah. that's something that i've found whether i've been playing in D campaigns or you know building my own world there's just sometimes where you're just you know something will happen right in a game session and then like a week later you're gonna think about it and you're like that was just the coolest thing and i wonder that person mentioned you know this this tavern in, in a, a city they went to what is that city mm-hmm. like and it just it just spirals from there <laughs> like it just that's just how it happens it's, it, it's yeah. this kind of like burrowing uh parasite uh in, in the best way possible <laughs> that will just stick with you um and so I, i'd be willing to bet that it's it's something that you're you're gonna uh think about without even knowing that you're thinking about it i hope so i hope so i, I really have struggled in the past to like motivate myself to create a world just because I think what's been missing is the because, right? Like mm-hmm. if I were, if I were running a campaign, that would be motivation. If I were actively making art, that would be motivation, but I haven't had like a particular thing I was doing it for. And and now I have the thing. So I'm really excited um, to have some sort of driving force behind that. And I think you're right. I probably will constantly be thinking about it. If anything, you know, I, I'll have to make sure I'm not like filling in too much of the world on my own because I want to make sure people are bringing in ideas. So, mm-hmm. um, so that'll, that'll, it'll be fun to watch it sort of all play out. But, 
Um, you specifically, I, I, I asked you before we came here to record, if you could come up with some advice for me. Um, so you've, you've thought up some advice from your experience, uh, to give to me as I create this world. Is there, is there anything we need to do before we get into that advice or, or is, is starting with the first piece, like the right place to begin? I think we can start with the first piece. One thing I do just want to call out. So I, obviously a lot of this is coming from my own brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I am 100% not, you know, the expert on world building, but there are some fantastic other resources that are out there. And I did just want to call one out that I, I definitely relied on as I was kind of coming up with some of this list. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is, and this is just, you know, for you or any of the listeners that are interested in kind of world building, whether it be for a role play setting or just in general, one of the ones that I, kind of latched onto was the adventuring academy which is a podcast that's hosted by brennan lee mulligan who's an amazing dm in uh oh yeah he's an amazing dm on an internet uh show called dimension 20 and there's multiple different kind of campaigns that they run and the specifically the episode i kind of relied a lot on was building your own campaign setting where he brought in matt mercer who is also another prolific oh yeah actor and uh dungeon master game master and they talk about a lot of the different campaign elements to think about. It not all of it would be necessarily applicable to what you're doing, Doug, but you know, I think that there's definitely just some helpful kind of information in there. And so I just want to shout that out. I got some of th- what I'm kind of drawing from from that, in addition to just my own brain. <laughs> sure. And we'll we'll figure out a way to link to yeah. to an easy way to like start exploring that stuff in the show notes. So mm-hmm. if if that stuff sounds interesting to you all and you haven't heard of those guys, um, we'll make sure we we get you to them. Awesome. Yeah, but other than that, it, it's funny. You kind of started hitting on some of the stuff that I put together, which is so... Ooh. It's, it's, it's really great because it means that, like, I think you're thinking about things in, in a very similar fashion to how I was approaching some of this advice. So hopefully... I've thought about it a little bit. <laughs> hopefully a lot of this stuff is uh, helpful to you uh, in that regard. So just to kind of kick things off, I think you were touching on this a second ago. One of the things, and and again, this I actually drew this one specifically from the Building Your Own Campaign setting episode of that podcast I mentioned. Um, you were talking about this a second ago. What is the purpose of your setting? What's important about it and what does it represent? That That's kind of like a very baseline thing for world building, right? And I think you touched on it of saying, like, I just wanted something to kind of prompt me, right, to do this mm-hmm. storytelling. And a Pokemon world is a great thing to to kind of you know, dip my toes into and just have that be my catalyst for starting to world build. Um, I think there's an even deeper level that you can go with it as well in terms of the actual setting that you're going to lay out. Like, what mm-hmm. is what is the actual purpose of it, right? And I don't mean pragmatically. I mean, within taking the setting itself, like, what is the purpose of that setting? You know, when you think about Pokemon worlds and, and, yeah. and different regions, they have a lot of different things that make them feel very unique and very purposeful, right? There's specific Pokemon in, uh, you know, there's regional Pokemon types. There's mm-hmm. special evolutions. There's even, like, down to the way characters speak. A lot of that really draws from the fact that some of the the worlds are kind of based off of different places, right, in, in like, real life. Um, yeah, yeah. And so there's a very purposeful 
kind of idea behind that where when the the game makers set out to make a region they're they're very much saying like we're going to base this off of you know this region in Japan or we're going to base this off of this region in France and so that's not something that you have to necessarily do, but it is helpful to think about that, I think, um, as you're kind of starting off on your journey to say, what is the purpose of my setting? Is there anything that is drawing direct influence from? And what ultimately does it kind of represent? Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, we're we're like eight official core series regions into the Pokemon franchise. Mm-hmm. And I think you can even see that those that what you're talking about has become more important with each region they introduce, right? Because the first four regions are all based on regions of Japan. Yep. And I think at a certain point they said, we can't keep break, like basing everything on Japan because we're going to run out of ideas or themes. Yep. <laughs> That's when you start getting into a region based on New York City or a region based on, like you said, France or Hawaii or England. And then even with Galar... England, it's not just that it's based on England, it's based specifically on like sports culture and like hooliganism, Mm -hmm. not deeply into hooliganism, but like, you know, that culture around sports in England. So it makes a lot of sense. I've thought a little bit about that, right? Because like, I thought, okay, well, each, each Pokemon region is based on some geographical setting. And then they've started to sort of incorporate these themes. I think the geographical setting might be easy for me because... I can sort of take what's familiar to me. Not that I'm going to create, you know, a carbon copy of of what I know, but you know, the founders of this podcast are from two totally different places. I'm from the northern coast of Ohio, which I know sounds weird, but the entire northern part of <laughs> Ohio is is a coast. <laughs> um, it's it's a Great Lake state, um, and then Kyle is in Virginia on the coast. Um, so I was like, well, that's perfect. I'm I'm going to be creating a coastal region here, and then what's between us is the Appalachian Mountains, right? So I, I know for sure I'm going to incorporate some coast areas, probably on the north and and the east, because that's where our respective coasts are, um, and then probably some some mountains down in like the Southwest. Cause that's what's between us. Um, so I have some of the like geographical features figured out. There is sort of like the culture and the why, and like, what does this, this region represent that needs some figuring out? And I mm-hmm. think that might be less based on like our individual geographies, because I don't think there's anybody out there who's claiming that like, you know, we might claim this, but that would claim that Ohio and Virginia are like the most exciting cultural inspiration I'll fight anybody who says it, but (laughs) I also recognize. (laughs) So I think, you know, I was looking at different regions and seeing sort of what their their things were. Um, And one thing I noticed is that they don't really have any regions that focus a lot on art. A lot of them have like a a specific scientific focus. Um, And so I wonder if there's some way I can incorporate that into the region, whether it's the history of the region and it has something to do with the past versus the present art versus science or whatnot. But I do think that's something that is maybe missing in, in current regions. That's so, okay. So two things. One, it's really funny that you said that there wasn't a focus on art because we, we didn't talk about this at all, but in one of my notes, I, as an example, I like said, you know, this could be the Pokemon world is one where humans and Pokemon work together on art projects. Like dude, is it so 
wild <laughs> that we both came up with that. Uh, and maybe it, maybe it is because like the games don't really have that. But like, yeah, I just I, when you said that a second ago, I, like I was like, oh my god, that's so. I got like a little bit of a chill. Uh, <laughs> well, it really stood out to me because you know, yeah. our our introduction to every game, almost every game, is a Pokemon professor, and Pokemon professors all have different specialties, but by their very nature, they study typically a hard science. Mm-hmm. Right, most of them aren't studying. An art. Uh, there is, you know, there's one in the Gala region that specifically studies history, but for the most part, it's all biology, ecology, uh, evolution, stuff like that. There's a great theme there. I think what you mentioned of like, you know, the arts versus the sciences, or not not versus, but like how they interplay and things like that. Mm-hmm. That is a great nugget of a theme that you can just kind of like really dive into and like spread out across your entire world. The the other thing I'll point out. And you may have already started thinking about this as well. And we'll talk a little bit about themes in a second. But something that, that stood out to me was you were talking about, you know, kind of where you're from versus where Kyle's from, right? And, and you kind of talked about like the similarities and then kind of the differences in the middle. There's a really mm-hmm. interesting piece there, right? Of almost kind of like a connecting the two, right? Like sure. A con- that what is like maybe it's like there's a long journey, right? So maybe the world is a lot bigger than than your normal Pokemon worlds, right? And it's like, how do the, these two places that are not that far apart in real life, but that are relatively far apart, stay connected? You know, and that's something that you, you all have done through the podcast, but it's also something that I think you could really explore, mm-hmm. like connectivity, either with the Pokemon or the region itself, how the region stays connected to, to different uh, different spots in the region, stay connected to one another. That's a piece that you can kind of start layering into your world as well. Sure. Because it, ne- it also needs to be cohesive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why is this a region as opposed to different different regions, I guess? Yeah, you yeah. Know, what makes Kanto and Johto different regions if they're right next to each other? You know, one is more urban, one is more... Rural. One of them is more technology based. One of them is more based in myth and, and legends and history. Yep, absolutely. And I think that that you know you're you're right on the money there of just like I finding different things that you can identify that can make your region stand out. And also too, there's every, every city in well, I shouldn't say every city, but a lot of the cities in Pokemon worlds. I keep saying worlds. <laughs> a lot of the oh, cities of Pokemon. It's pretty interchangeable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of the cities in Pokemon regions, you know, have their own kind of distinctive elements to them. And they're very yeah. different from one another. But the whole region itself still f- has that cohesive feel somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, finding the ways that that kind of really sticks to it. And and sometimes that's uh, getting into the nitty gritty of like, well, when I travel from this city to this city, there's some, there's a lot of, you know, well-maintained roads. So that's how those cities are connected. Mm -hmm. Or there's like a forest in between them. And so they both kind of draw off of that element. Um, And so there's really just different ways that you can kind of pick from there. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it also jives really well with a lot of Pokemon mythology and history Mm -hmm. anyway, because a lot of Pokemon, I think by nature of them, it's weird. I think it's rooted in our real world. But the fact that they always have two versions, I think there's always this theme of of typically of two forces in Pokemon, whether it's a current force or a historical force, whether it's the Kalos War or two regions separated by a mountain like in Sinnoh um, or the battle between Kyogre and Groudon. So I think I think you're hitting on something where if I'm basing this on two different areas of the real world, I might be able to build that that sort of duality in some way that would fit perfectly in with a Pokemon region. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's finding, and that's the other thing too, like just in general about world building, it's finding, 
It's finding the areas, like the little corner cases, that can really drive forward the larger aspects of it. At least for me. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's been finding those little tiny pieces of like, oh, well, maybe there's, you know, this little um, this little town here. And what does that actually mean if there is a, actually a town here? Why did people come there? And thinking about those different oh, things. Like yeah, yeah. every step kind of along the way. Hey folks, before we get back into building fictional worlds, I want to take a quick break and chat briefly about something important that's happening in our real world. It's 2022 and the COVID-19 pandemic is still a major factor in how we navigate our daily lives or certainly should be. And I'm here with Dr. Ben who reached out to me to talk about the state of the pandemic and how folks can persevere in keeping themselves and others safe in the face of a global event that we all no doubt wish would subside sooner rather than later. Dr. Ben, hello. Hello, 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 icky, booly, Dougie. <laughs> How you doing? I am doing well. Um, you and I have already talked about having you on for a full episode. So you and I yeah. will have a chance to talk about something Pokemon related. But you reached out to me to express some urgency about COVID because we'd already been talking about having you on to talk Pokemon and a little bit about COVID. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to make sure I had you on as soon as possible just to briefly chat about how things are going. I've been calling you Dr. Ben, so obviously you're a doctor, but what is your specific medical background, or if that needs to be broken down in a particular way, what's that for anybody who doesn't know? Sure. So um, I graduated from medical school. I have not done residency yet. I am in the, I guess, tail end of residency interview season. My hope is to start practicing this coming July when all residents for the incoming class would all start. In terms of what I'm sort of focused on, it's been pediatrics and family medicine. This past year, I've been working at a major vaccine site for Essex County, New Jersey, which is a government-run vaccine site for the COVID-19 vaccine. Mm-hmm. And in terms of research, I've worked on the under-12 COVID vaccine clinical trial. Sure. Right now, the big thing that I'm working on is a study focusing on why some kids get very sick from COVID and why some don't. Sure. So that's sort of my vantage point. So I've sort of been like working on like this COVID pyramid, I guess you could say, for 2021 and spilling into right now, of course. So not a lot of uh, ambiguity of what your intersection with all of this is. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, uh, you're, you're the most knowledgeable person I know <laughs> about it, I'm sure. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad to have you uh, as somebody who knows what he's talking about. I appreciate it. I guess on that note, like, especially because it's 2022, especially because it's been a couple years now, what is the state of the pandemic? And from your perspective, are you seeing people navigate the world in accordance to how you see the state of the pandemic? Or are people moving too quickly beyond it? You know, I think, and, and I think that this is sort of like a general sort of thing about us people living in America, we are extremely privileged and mm. we crave that privilege. And so sure. when there's any sort of disruption to that privilege, we lose our minds and we're like, okay, we're either not going to listen to what we, what is being told, or mm. we are going to listen and we're going to get very frustrated and angry at the people that are not doing what they should be doing. And look, I'm 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 angry too. Like I'm very frustrated about all of this. This entire thing has like disrupted. Like all my studies have to do with COVID, and I'm learning a lot. But mm-hmm. do I want COVID to be my career and my future? No, of course not. Sure. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the state of the pandemic. I think that it is 
the worst that it's been mm-hmm. in terms of cases, in terms of severity, I think we're kind of at the same. It's it's a little hard to say 100% because we're, we're about like maybe two months into Omicron. Sure. I do think that people are still not doing what they should be doing. Okay. We had a we had a kid pass away this week in the ICU only a few hours after being admitted from COVID pneumonia. Mm. Mom wasn't vaccinated, kid wasn't vaccinated. Like these are things that are definitely very preventable. The people that we're seeing in the hospital, at least from the pediatric end of what I'm seeing in the hospital, sure. it's kids that are not vaccinated. And or I should say kids of parents that are not vaccinated. Yeah. So like we had a one year old on the unit. We had a five year old. These are kids that are otherwise healthy. Mm -hmm. But it's but it's also that doesn't really matter if they were healthy. Sure. In terms of how the general public should be approaching things. That doesn't make it okay. That like them having those preexisting conditions doesn't make it okay. The people that are that out there that are doing the right thing, keep doing the right thing. Keep wearing mm-hmm. a mask indoors, keep social distancing, keep doing all that. And I know that it's very frustrating and you're sick of it. I'm sick of it too, but keep doing it. The people that aren't doing the right thing, it's why we're not going to get out of this. As we're entering a third year, which is far longer than I think the average person would have expected yeah. any of this to last. What do people need to keep doing? I mean, you mentioned wearing masks indoors. Um, you mentioned social distancing. Are there other things that, that you're seeing people not doing that they should do? I mean, like we want it to end sooner, not later, right? <laughs> the only the only thing that we can keep doing is exactly what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Making sacrifices sucks, but they're sometimes the necessary thing to do. What What you're doing is to help prevent this from continuing. If you're going to ask me, like, how long do I think that this will continue? I think it will continue for as long as we don't have certain mandates. And, and the pe- like the people that are unvaccinated remain unvaccinated. And yeah. the only way for that to change is with certain mandates. Yeah, there's not like a there's not like a deadline for a virus where it just yeah, like, no. stops existing. No, it doesn't. Like it's, it's how it doesn't we care. respond it, to it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't care. It's a virus. It doesn't care how many supplements that you've had or that you take good care of yourself. It doesn't care about any of that crap. It's programmed to damage you. If you are vaccinated, yeah. the damage will be less severe. I think, I think it's also very important for people to understand the, the way that the vaccine works, right? So the mRNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, they go in, Your body reads the mRNA like it's an instruction manual, basically. And then Mm -hmm. your body then makes from that instruction manual a harmless version of the COVID spike protein. Your body then makes antibodies in response to it. COVID spike protein is destroyed. You keep the antibodies. And then everything that was in the vaccine leaves your system within 72 hours. That, I think, is like something that is very easily lost in the conversation, but like yeah. The way that the vaccines are designed, they're designed in a way that they can't cause issues down the line. Only 18 to 25 percent of the country is boosted. That's shameful. That's very worrisome. Obviously, consult with your doctor about, of about you know, getting finding out if any of this stuff is right for you. But if it's six months after your second dose and you got an mRNA vaccine, you need to get your next one. And if you're two months out from the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, you are not protected. If you're two months out from the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, switch over to an mRNA vaccine. 
don't get a second J&J. I think, honestly, like having good info, getting it from the right places, talking to the right people, and knowing who those right people are is really important. So you're a good person to ask, where should people be getting reliable, reputable, up-to-date information? Because I think that's one of the biggest things folks can do to better understand how things are working and what they can be doing. I can understand and appreciate that there are certain levels of polarizing feelings towards the CDC and towards like any sort of government. I think the CDC, like the best parts of the CDC is when they collate the information and they package it in a way that's like, this is how this vaccine works. This is what happens. This is how it leaves your body. X, Y, and Z. These are certain numbers on cases, but there's also some nuance to it. I think certain epidemiologists and certain vaccinologists and immunologists are some very good sources. Nobody's going to have a magic button. Of course. But I do listen very closely to Andy Slavitt, who was Biden's COVID czar last year, and he does a podcast called In the Bubble. Oh, okay. He's kind of been very like on the pulse of COVID, and mm-hmm. he'll do daily updates. He'll he'll sometimes talk with guests, and he's spoken with Dr. Fauci. And so, mm-hmm. like, he's a really good source of information. I think another really good source of information is Professor uh, Dr. Peter Hotez. Okay. Uh, he is a vaccinologist and pediatrician in Texas, and he has been working on developing a brand new vaccine against COVID mm-hmm. um, as well that he hopes to deliver to more impoverished nations. Sure. And then another really good one is Dr. Eric Fiegel-Ding. He is another very good epidemiologist. So like there's people out there and look, the, these are, these are people that are not, that have been critical of certain things that the CDC has done. Like, you know, with the, with the quarantine changes and everything like that, mm-hmm. there's nuance to it. And, and I think that that's something that people seem to sort of lose yeah, you and I are nerds, right? This isn't like a comics canonicity thing where you can point to something that happened like decades right. ago in a comic and say, see, you said, like, it doesn't work that right, way. Right, 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 <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Well, I very much appreciate you spending a little bit of time with me for this episode yeah. in particular. Like I said, I'm going to have you on in the near future to talk about uh, the next Pokemon game, actually, is what we've been talking about yes. um, having you on for. But in the meantime, if people would like to find you on the internet just for whatever you're doing or to help point them in uh, good directions about some of this stuff. Where can they do that? Don't look for me. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you can find me at Dr. Ben MD uh, on Twitter, just really Twitter. If anybody has any sorts of questions or whatever, let me know. You know, my hope is that if there's any listener out there that hasn't gotten the vaccine, please be convinced to go get it. Once again, thank you for joining me. You and I will catch up again. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of this episode, everybody. Thank you. Cool. Well, I think, I mean, that's, I think that that you have like a great starting point there. Um, I did want, the, the next one that I wanted to touch on, and we've kind of already touched on this a little bit is there's kind of two different schools of thought, right? Of how to mm-hmm. approach beginning world building. Okay. There's, you can kind of start micro on a specific area or macro on the theme, but no matter what, I think whatever you decide to do, you don't want to get too hyper fixated on too many details too early. And you were talking about that a little bit ago, right? Of like, you know, 
I, I don't want to, I think you said, I don't want to like fill in all the details like before I have other people come in and like add right, their, right. add their elements <laughs> and stuff like that. It's so easy. And even as we're like having this conversation, like, uh, it, it's so easy to just kind of like jump in and say, oh, well, maybe it's like you have this and like th- this, this and that and just get like the, the details kind of built out. You don't necessarily want to spend too much time doing that, especially in a collaborative storytelling s- setting. Yeah. Because you just want to leave room for other folks. Um, and so kind of speaking specifically to the, the two different methods, again, some people will kind of start small and build out from there let's say this is and i I think in like a pokemon setting it's like this is the town that you start in right sure this is where all of the adventures would begin and then kind of build from there or you can just kind of start with that top-down theme and just Mm say and and you kind of touched on it like the you know this is where i had that note that we we both had very similar of like this is the pokemon world where humans and, and pokemon work together on art projects and kind of see how that fits into every single city that might be built out on your map that I think is a good thing to think about. And I think that for this particular project, I think both of those approaches might not be um, like in contention with one another, mm-hmm. because I think that in setting up the project, I need to think of what the big picture is. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in order to like, let go of the details, I think I maybe where I start as the person kicking this off is that first town or is that like launching point, right? So I can deliver to a guest, hey, this is a region where these are the things that are important. And here's sort of the dynamic between, you know, maybe the east and the north. Um, And all I've done so far is pick the professor who gives you your Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And then and then where do you want to go from there? You know, so that there is like a, an overarching thing and a theme that doesn't get like totally out of whack, like immediately. And there's sort of like a starting place on the board that that we can start like rolling from. Did that make any sort of sense? I, no, 100%. And I think you hit on something that's really important as well, which is kind of setting up the guardrails, right? Like you want you want mm. your your guests to kind of come in to this yeah. and feel – you want them to feel empowered. And sometimes, sometimes in a setting where you're given total freedom, it can feel – it can feel overwhelming, right? It's like, well, what do I do? You know, and and I think a lot of people when they first start playing role playing games can kind of feel that as well, where it's like it's it, it's intimidating. It's like there's all these different rule books. There's like 15 different classes, and <laughs> there's like 20 different races. Like I don't know, I don't know what to do. And so I think that having some parameters for people who are starting out and having a very set starting point for them is going to be super, super helpful for them. As long as you're still kind of, and this will be another point that we talk about in a second, as long as you're still giving them that creative freedom uh, to kind of build into the world and feel like they are collaborating to the story as well. I think a lot of those guardrails can be decided by what a Pokemon region typically is, right? right? So like, I can sit there and say like, this isn't an Alola. This is like a more traditional region where there are probably still gym leaders that that are familiar but that we've never but we've also never seen these types of characters before right Mm -hmm. so like i can kind of create almost like a blank um like uh not not so much a mad libs but i can't think of a better better example right where it's like here's the structure feel free to fill it in kind of however you want Mm -hmm. just we gotta like stay here in the region, you know? Yeah. And and I think a great example. So from my experience in kind of role-playing settings, 
one of the things that will often happen when like a new campaign is being launched is Mm -hmm. there's something called a session zero. Um, And we're kind of having a little bit of that right now, but it's Mm -hmm. the session zero is more kind of level setting for everybody who's playing in the, in the campaign. Um, And, and some of the times that session zero has been, all right, I'm doing a campaign and in my world that I've built, there are no humans, right? Sure. That's, that's a guardrail, right? It's saying, no, I'm not going to allow any players to create a human or you have to have a really good reason to create a human. Yeah. So different things like that are always, I think, really helpful to just kind of kick off that creative process. Because then also, too, when you do give those guardrails, right, it's like, well, why are there no humans? Did all of the humans disappear or was oh, yeah, yeah. or there ever, you know, or was there just never humans in this in this realm kind of thing? So it can also kind of help fuel that as well. And and what you'll find is that the people who are involved with this, whether they've been involved with collaborative storytelling or not, are going to really latch on to those types of things and say, you know what, Doug, you said that uh, there's no uh, fire Pokemon on this route, but I'm going to say... <laughs> Were we in Sinnoh? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, I'm going to say that there is uh, a... I don't, I'm, I'm just pulling this out of my, there's a rock Pokemon that used to be a fire Pokemon long, long time ago. And so like, you know what I mean? Like people will, yeah. Like know the rules so that if you break them, it makes sense. Exactly. Yes. Or there's like a compelling reason why you broke that rule. hundred percent. That is, and that is, that is kind of how I approach storytelling or collaborative storytelling is, is that exactly is it's, you have to know the rules for the moments when they need to be broken. Right. Like, and whether that's, you know. And you're playing an RP game and you're making a skill check and you're trying to make up something wacky to try to get you out of a situation or in, in, in a situation where you're building a Pokemon world and and someone has said to you, like, you can't – your gym leader has to be X and you want to find the different ways to kind of circumvent that, like, type uh, that, that you've, <laughs> you've been given. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. That's a good – and that'll, that'll be good prep work for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so uh, we kind of we kind of spiraled off of that one. But, but again, I think also to – you you already have it sounds like you already have a great starting point for how you're going to approach starting micro versus macro and it sounds like it's a combination of the two and it sounds like you also have like a really great theme in mind as well so um i would just like sit with that and figure out how i think the next step with that is figuring out how you apply that to the people who are going to come in and start um start building with you i like that it's already giving me ideas. Yeah, awesome. Oh, I'm so I'm so jazzed to hear that. Um, so similarly, uh, I think we're kind of leading into this point. Um, I didn't do this on purpose, but uh, this is actually the perfect time to get into this. But when you're doing collaborative storytelling, right, you have to be comfortable with yes and. Um, yes. And you might be familiar with this, but for anyone who's not familiar with what I mean by yes and, yes and is kind of a uh, – it's an improv technique where when you're improving with someone, you kind of take what that person gives you and you add on to it, right? So it's you're doing a scene together and someone says like, oh, the ice cream machine's broken. Um, and you kind of jump in and say, yes, and we have a line of 20 cars that are piled up at the uh, the, the drive through I don't know why I just like immediately went to <laughs> like a fast food <laughs> example. That's just where my mind went. But but it's that and we're the of... only two people here because everybody quit tonight. Right, right. Exactly. It's like you just kind of add on and add on. And it it's this really amazing thing where you draw off of other people who are presenting you with something, right? It's, it's so 
it, it, it gives you a spark, right, of creativity. Sure. But what I mean when I say you have to be comfortable with the yes and is that we talked about setting parameters, right? And we talked about why setting parameters is important for people to break those parameters some of the times. There are going to be some times when someone is going to break a parameter in a way that you're not expecting. And then you have to then react to and your reaction yeah. can either be like, no, you can't do that, which sometimes is appropriate. Uh, but other times <laughs> is uh, can be really hindering to the experience for someone who's like doing collaborative storytelling with you. And I say that. You know, just out of experience of, you know, there's so many times in a role play setting. Um, and thankfully, we've never had this like in our, I hope we've never had this in our group. I don't think I've ever experienced this where either the DM or like some of the other players kind of shut something down. It's like, no, you can't really do that. Like, that's just not something you can do. And it's, it kind of pulls the autonomy away from, from the storyteller mm-hmm. instead of the, the GM or the DM or the players kind of saying, you can try that or you do that, but you also have to consider X, Y, and Z, right? Like you can't just run out into the middle of the street and yell like, oh, we're being attacked without causing like a mass panic or something like that. It's kind of those different types of things. Whereas like when you're in a role play setting, you can build by like adding consequences or just pointing out things that people might not have thought about. Um, and I think it's going to be a very similar experience for you in this world where it's like, you're going to have those instances where someone says, I want my gym leader to not have a type uh, uh, that they, they draw from. They're going to have every single type. They're going to have any type that they want. Um, and <laughs> yeah. that's going to be something that you're going to have to really draw from. And so you can either say, well, I don't want you to do that. Um, or you can say, you can do that, but, but why, but why, what's, what's, what's the, what's their, what's their thing? Exactly. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the really key piece. The, the collaborative piece of this can be just so energizing, but it can mm-hmm. also be really terrifying, right? When you're getting people who are bringing you things that you're just not expecting. Um, and then you then have to react to that. And I think, again, that's kind of a key piece where you have to just find a way to be comfortable with that. And I think you, you as Doug are, are great <laughs> with this, you know, being able to host various different podcasts. You're always having conversations that are like not pre-planned so you're not going to have any issues with that but there are going to be certain things where it could affect the overall world that you're building in ways that you're not thinking of sure no i think i think it's a really good thing to keep in mind because this is uh normally i create by myself Mm -hmm. right like outside of the world of podcasting which is usually just having a conversation i think there's sort of my default setting is like oh well, we're just talking like i can't control what you're you're gonna say i can only react to it right but i think if if i'm coming at this from the place of oh i'm creating something i need to not get like caught up in that fact especially because i think with the in this case somebody who's going to be a future co-host may hear the conversation i'm having with the current co-host and if i'm shutting down a co-host then the next one's going to be like well i mean i had this idea but i'm not going to bring it up right because it sounds like something he wouldn't be cool with right so i think there's there's almost like um like a uh, an openness that I need to be communicating like forwards so that any guest host is always sort of because c- that's not going to be the same party of people right like in mm-hmm. a campaign it's going to be new people coming in each time and they need to know that every time they walk into this space that they've never been in before or haven't been in here for this particular reason that they can fire away whatever idea they have yeah and I think I think that's another reason why setting guardrails is important. And and you can be really great with that because you can give specificity, right, to what your co-hosts are going to bring. 
And Mm -hmm. that really helps kind of narrow the focus a little bit, which is going to be super helpful, I think, for anybody who's coming in to add something to your world. So they don't, you know, necessarily think like, oh, I have to think of like a, you know, 12 new brand new Pokemon and I have to think (laughs) of 12 NPC characters and like that kind of stuff. Um, It's going to be helpful in that regard, but it's also going to be helpful for you to be able to really mitigate um some of those surprises that can really uh spiral uh <laughs> you know your world away yeah. from you which is something i know you you wouldn't want and and also something that i think is easy to fall prey to when you're being really open with people that makes a lot of sense so yes and crucial but also just know what you're getting into with that I have two more notes and then I have some kind of odds and ends advice that don't necessarily fall into like a big overarching category. The next one that I wanted to really touch on is kind of speaking on that, right? Like you're bringing people into your, into your world and they're adding to it. So a lot of what you build is going to come from, and this is just a general world building tip, but also specifically to what you're doing, it's going to come from Mm -hmm. playing in it. And I kind of like use air quotes when I say playing in it um, because there's a lot of different meanings behind playing in it. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But the other piece for that, again, this kind of goes back to the yes and some of what you think up may not make the cut. Um, And this is this is a lot of the reasons why a lot of people say, like, don't start with like so many details, you know, for your world, because a lot of what you come up with is just not going to be there. And I can, I can say 100% from experience in the world, the campaign that we're playing in currently, there is, I have way too many historical details and I have (laughs) way too many place details that like you all may never, ever get to. Sure. And like, for me, as the the type of uh, GM that I am, I'm fine with that. Like, I just like having that stuff kind of like rattling around in my brain from day right. to day. But also, a lot of it is just stuff that you'll never experience, right? And so yeah. there's certain things like that that you can like cut out from like how you're planning things. Mm-hmm. But even with that said, some of like what is probably like rolling around in your mind right now might not make the cut because I'm sure as you're kind of thinking through this project, there's so many different things that are running around in your brain of like, oh, you know, this it would be really cool if the sixth gym leader had. I don't know, was a skateboarder and was like doing (laughs) tricks like off of like a half pipe as they were battling you. Right. And (laughs) I'm sorry that I, I just gave you that idea because chance, no, no, someone's not going to come up with that. Um, But, but that's what I mean is like those different types of things that like you think of may not make it. And so you have to kind of really be okay with like letting that building happen. Um, And so this is really similar to what we were just talking about, but it's really how, you want to approach this unfolding for the people who are going to kind of come in as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so kind of jumping back to the first part of that, that piece of advice is a lot of what is going, to, you're going to build is going to come from playing in it. You've already started thinking about like how to plan this out, right? Like we started talking about, you know, what is the kind of starting town? And maybe that's where yeah. you start in the first co-host that comes on and, and adds to it, like maybe does, you know, the next piece there, the playing in it is kind of like, in your mind, you probably already have, at least I do, I can see, like, starting in a Pokemon, like, in a part Pokemon game and in a specific town, right? And you yeah. can kind of think of, like, as you're kind of imagining this, you can kind of think of, like, the beats that happen, right? When you're in a game of where where do they go next? Like, there's always, like, a, a path and it has, like, you know, pretty weak Pokemon, but then there's other things that kind of connect to it. Um, and so playing around in it and seeing, like, what's in that immediate area, I think is something that's really cool that you can 
play with and you can really kind of draw from that as well. Mm -hmm. I think some of that playing will probably happen right here on the show, Mm -hmm. right? Like as people are introducing ideas and we're doing that yes anding, right? I think the initial playing at least, you know, as far as the creation, right? Aside from any products that might sort of follow this or or works of, you know, art or fiction or whatever that might come as a uh, as a result of this, like a lot of that playing, I think, will just be just like having conversations about this world. But I think it could I mean, I think play could sort of emerge as things sort of fill the world out. Right. Because I think, you know, I might end up with an idea or a co-host might end up with an idea after we've had that conversation where they're like, and what if there was more to that? Yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely. And and I think, too, you can draw inspiration from that um, and your your co-host can draw inspiration from that as well. The other thing that it will inevitably lead to, right, you're going to have so many conversations of like, well, remember in Heart Gold where you get to this route and like X, Y and Z happens, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be that kind of stuff and just kind of like playing in the sense of like, what if that happened in our game as well or in our world as yeah. well? Um, and so like, I think the other piece that kind of comes with that is like, what would happen if... You know, I know you're planning this out as, you know, not necessarily something that's going to be role played or anything like that. But what would happen if there was a player, right, who couldn't go straight from gym two to gym three, mm-hmm. you know, because there was a, a, a Snorlax blocking the road or there was a, a group of Psyduck blocking the route? Like, what do then what happens thereafter? Like, what kind of spreads out and what forces the players kind of action? Those are different things that you can you can think about, even if you're not going to be playing in this setting as, you know, an RP or anything else. Those are different things that you could still be thinking about to really give the world its kind of like living, breathing heart. I think that's a really good thing to think about that I hadn't necessarily thought about because we do tend to think of a Pokemon world in a linear way. Mm-hmm. And I think deciding where that enters the equation might be a good guardrail, right? Because like, as far as creating the world, I don't know. I haven't decided. This is a thing I'm going to have to think about further. But like, do I want to lay out a linear world that is filled in? Or do I want to create the world and then decide what the journey is? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think those are like really, I mean, that's a really interesting decision point that you have to kind of to kind of think about. Because in the one hand, like if you kind of plan everything out, then you can kind of like on the map kind of dot along the way of like different things, you know, encounters that could happen or different things. Again, I know like you're not necessarily going to be playing in this, but like different ways that like the world has that kind of living breathingness to it. Um, Or if you're doing it from start to finish, then you kind of plan those things out as you're going along the journey. Well, I mean, any world that, that you're sort of imagining should have some sort of lore to it. Right. And lore is as big as the mythology, but also as small as, you know, anytime somebody goes into this this weird forest, they always come out with, like, fewer of their belongings, and they don't know where they go. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's that type of stuff that, that makes the world feel, like, full. So I have to figure out where those types of – I think those things will sort of naturally occur, or at least that's my hope, right? Like, when somebody says, you know, I, I, I think your map should have this type of area. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and this could be that area's thing, right? 100%. Like, I, I noticed that you didn't have – a rock query or something, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and and I, I want that to be like a thing. And then it's kind of like figuring out where does that fit in? But then also like what kind of, because there's a rock query, like what kind of things happen there? Um, yeah. And I also would say there's even like the littler details, right? That are, are important as well. You know, 
one of the things in role play that makes the world feel very alive are the NPCs or non-player characters. And that's true in Pokemon games as well. Oh, they, absolutely. They can be super basic some of the times, but there's different things, how they speak, right? Like if there's a specific region that they're from and they have like a, a certain accent, <laughs> you know, down to like that level. Yeah. Um, or even just kind of like how they dress like in different places you know i think i'm thinking back to marnie yeah exactly goth marnie (laughs) yes like what is like the marnie in your world and why does like why does marnie exist in your world or or why does she have that fashion sense like in your world like those types Mm -hmm. of things are are what take a world from being you know something that is really interesting to you and something interesting to look at to being a real like living thing yeah totally so this is the last official kind of like bullet bullet point that I came up with. But then I have I cheated, uh, you know, because when we had our pre-conversation, you know, we were like our session zero. Yeah, our session zero for this <laughs> podcast. We talked about like, you know, how many to have and stuff like that. But then I also cheated and had some other things that just didn't really fit anywhere. But um, anyway, the last kind of <laughs> bullet point number five, a great fantasy world, be it Pokemon, D&D, whatever, has really wonderful uh aspects to it so like this is why people love to live in this world but then Mm -hmm. it also has issues um and so thinking through both of those can really help set that world apart uh and and make it your own and so for a pokemon setting a lot of that is driven by the plot right every pokemon game has has a you know antagonist you have your rival like there's a lot of different elements that are like kind of you ex- come to expect in a Pokemon world. You might yeah. not have those in this world building setting that you're doing, but you could think about how those things would play out in your world, right? So what would be like an important thing in your world, you know, based on the theme that you've kind of started off with that someone would want to disrupt, right? Like I'm thinking yeah. of, you know, Sword and Shield where it's like all built, it's based on like energy and and natural resources and stuff like that. I guess that's kind of a theme in a couple games, but anyway. Sure. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like there's, the, there's always like an antagonist. There's always someone who's doing something that, um, wants to disrupt kind of the niceties of a specific world and like thinking about what those things could be. And like, even, even if you wanted to, you could even get down to like who would be like the big bad in your world yeah. if you really wanted to do that. Yeah. I think, I think there's a way to work that into what I'm doing for sure because I think no matter what, like, as we conceive this Pokemon region, it exists in a place and time, mm-hmm. right? Like it, 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 for our purposes is in the present. It's going to have its own history and it's going to have its own future. So there's no reason that it, that at this point in its history, there isn't somebody that everybody's talking about, right? Because they're, they're the one in the news right now for this thing they're doing. That's either confusing or concerning or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think drawing from that can really help you, even even when you're getting down to just like making making a map, right? It can really help you think about things because it's like, you know, when you look at like, I, and actually, I think that would be a great. I know you've done this multiple times, but like that would be a great homework assignment of like looking at like all of the the different overworld maps for all the different Pokemon mm. regions and seeing. I do that for fun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and seeing like, oh, this is where like you have the final fight with like the big, not mm-hmm. like you know your final. Um, 
beating the champion or anything like that, but like the final fight with the big bad, right? And right. like, why does it happen there? Like, what is the yeah. reason that it happens there? And thinking about those types of things of like, well, if that were to happen in my world, it would probably happen here, like right, right in the center, or it would be on like the far edges of the world, or be out in the water on like a boat or something like that. Um, different yeah. things like that can really help fill in some of the details once you're kind of like really deep along in in the world building phase. That 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 that's another thing that I'll have to sort of consider as because this is like a uh an ongoing sort of long-term progression of things so it might be worth me thinking about like when do i want to introduce those particular elements mm-hmm. of the world right like does this does this world creation happen in stages where we start with maybe what like a categorization of like basic elements first and then expand upon that and then after we've filled in a certain amount then do i dedicate an episode to or do i have a longer segment where we talk about like what would a conflict be yeah so but that's certainly a thing for me to think about as far as like almost like developing this in stages as opposed to just like i guess it's the guardrails again right Mm -hmm. as opposed to just it being like a full-blown totally open sandbox so that like i don't even have like a town on the map and somebody comes in and says like what if the world we're ending like well what world (laughs) so that's a good thing to think about yeah absolutely and it can also help too you know um if you want to like bring guests back right to to Mm -hmm. say like oh in this you know i I was thinking you know this as we planned out like what if this event happened right here and how would your you know you 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 help build the first gym how would like your gym leader react to that or how would that that like area react to that and like what would be the different things that would happen as you say that, I just think about black and white and how much I want to replay those games for their story. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, again, like, I think that embarking on this adventure is just going to bring about so much of just, like, not being able to stop thinking about various different elements of both the Pokemon world and yeah. your Pokemon world. And I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, that brings me to the first odds and ends uh, sure. piece that I had, which is don't get bogged down on something needing to be, like, completely original and being able to like draw inspiration from other things that have happened. So like, you know, like when you're talking about different things and, you know, thinking about like, Oh, that's just like what happened in sword and shield. Oh, I can't really do that because they already did that. That 100% like, don't let that be a stopping force for you because I mean, there's the, the old adage of every story that's ever been told or every story that's told now has already been told before. So like, sure. It's hard not to come up with, uh, things that, you know, people latch onto. There's so many times in role play settings where someone will say like, Oh, that's just like breaking bad or something. And it's like, <laughs> I've never seen all breaking bad all the way through. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I wasn't yeah. thinking of that. And it's easy to take that stuff as, uh, sort of a, uh, like a jab or an offense. Yeah. Or something. But like, it really isn't because it's like, Oh, that's a cool thing that I can connect to. And like, you built like a character or you built a world that kind of resembles that. That's awesome. And it was memorable enough for them to take that with them and then and then compare your world to it. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly something that resonated with them. Yep. And then I would also say, too, just like along those lines, like draw inspiration from Pokemon regions that already exist, right? Like each thing, each region does something that's a little bit different. And you can kind of, even when you're like looking back at the different regions, you can see what they did similarly and you can see what mm-hmm. they did differently to really draw inspiration from from those different types of things. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think uh, it'll be easy – well, I say this now, but I think it'll be easy to sort of remind myself not to get bogged down on things that have happened before because Pokemon 
sort of uh, repeats ideas or like reworks ideas in their own series. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think they build on their own stuff and they draw inspiration from themselves. So like, why shouldn't I do the same? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like, I think that that's going to be something that's really fun with it too, is like taking that as almost like a challenge of like, you, well, let me, let me backtrack. You can take that as a challenge and say like, I want to build this so that like, it's so close to being an actual Pokemon region, like in the games or in the show that like, you couldn't tell the difference, you know, <laughs> or you can just say like, I'm a fool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you can- guys, guys, gen nine leaked. <laughs> Um, yeah, or you can just say, like, I don't really care if it's that close. I want it to be, like, my own thing. Yeah, totally. So, um, and then the other, the last thing, um, well, the last two things. One, there's, there's so many different, like, map building tools online. And something that I found when I was, like, I really started sitting down and planning out our sessions was that, like, just drawing a map out, like, helped me out a ton to -hmm. just kind of visualize, like, how things would flow, even though my map arguably in my mind is just so ridiculous for our world but it's also (laughs) like fun um and just like having fun and like those different types of tools i think can really help uh spark inspiration as well and then the last thing i'll say too is that your and we already touched on this a little bit but that your vision is going to differ so much from what you initially thought And, and that's a good thing right like yeah. As you kind of like start thinking of like different things that you could add into your world and like it gets kind of bulldozed over because you have a guest that comes in and sure. says like, no, <laughs> this is all like th- this is a region where there's always thunderstorms. Right. Like and you're like, oh, that was going to be my forest that you had to go. Like those different types of <laughs> things mean that like you're one yeah. having a great time with the the hosts that are coming on and helping you build this. And also that it's like a living and breathing world because it just means that you're then adapting to what other people are giving you and it's creating something that is what you set out to do which is this collaborative experience which is really fun and exciting i'm excited yeah i hope so i'm I'm excited excited too (laughs) (laughs) can i run by uh by you two things that i think i've decided yes please so i think well the first one i think was that i was was sort of playing with the idea that somehow i wanted to work you know the arts in some way Mm -hmm. this idea of 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 sort of the arts versus not versus in the sense that they're in conflict with each other, but just versus in the sense that science has been more of a focus in other regions. I want to try to inject the arts a little bit more. The first thing I want to run by you is uh, I think I'm going to be responsible for creating the Pokemon professor that introduces you to the world, gives people their first Pokemon. I feel like it's appropriate that I get to decide that character. Oh, you know, hundred percent. Yep. So I think my idea for the professor is professor Buck. Uh, which would be named after a Buckeye tree, which is characteristic here in Ohio. (laughs) So Professor Buck. And I think Professor Buck, unlike a lot of the other professors, uh, studies legends and stories and artwork um, that are are, uh, sort of ancient and historical to teach him about Pokemon as opposed to field work or, you know, experimental work. Uh, I think he's more uh, sort of fascinated by studying the stories people told uh, and the legends that people passed down. I love all of that. Um, And I think, (laughs) I think that that even just giving that like introduction piece is going to give your, uh, your co-hosts something to go off of because like Mm -hmm. already that's, that's setting stuff up to be just so different than 
what they've experienced in other Pokemon games. And so I think that's going to just like get the creative juices flowing for people. Uh, no pun intended, since it is kind of like studying <laughs> the, the professor is studying lore and different things like yeah. that. But, um, no, I think that's great. I, I love that so much. And it's also really, again, really funny that we both had like art as like a little, uh, a little piece there. So I think it just means they're overdue for a, a game that features that a little bit more, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> and I really, I will, I just love the spin of Professor Buck, um, of, yeah. of, of, of how they <laughs> approach the Pokemon world. Yeah, I think uh, I, I don't necessarily have a design in mind, but so many of the professors, with a couple exceptions, are so like proper and put together. I think Professor Buck is going to be in good company with Professor Birch in being kind of a hot mess. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think that'll be their brand. Heck yeah. <laughs> and then I think I have a name. I think I have a name for the region. I think I figured one out. I was stressing about this because naming a region, I feel like, is a big thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was really struggling up until, honestly, Tommy, like maybe an hour before we started recording. Um, But I think I have one because I was like, well, where am I going to draw inspiration from? Is it going to be from the places that I'm basing this on? Is it going to be something to do with the podcast? And for a long time, I was like, I don't think naming it after the podcast is going to work. I just can't think of a way to make it sound like a Pokemon region name. And then it hit me. After so many other iterations, trying to think of so many other different things that didn't have to do with the podcast, you know, you like put something on the shelf and then it hits you Uh when you're not thinking about it. I think it is going to be named after the podcast. I think if I just take the first two letters of victory and the first three letters of road, you end up with Varroa, (gasps) which I think sounds like a Pokemon region. It does. And it comes with its own sort of denim. I'm always so bad at saying this word. Demonym in Varroan. So like Cantonian, you know, yeah. uh, Univin, Alolan, Varroan. So I think Viroa is going to be the name of this region, which isn't immediately obviously named after the podcast. But once you see it, it you kind of are like, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> it's also, I, I will say, too, and I can't put my finger on it, but there's something that feels very musical about it. Like Viroa, it has like a very artistic (laughs) kind of flair to it. So I think it fits perfectly for like your kind of theme that you're coming up with. I think that's great. Cool. I love that it vibes. Yeah. Which, you know, for this region, I think Buck would be into vibes, you know? 100%. (laughs) Professor Buck is also Professor Vibes. Yes, he's vibing. <laughs> so I think, uh, I mean, you've given me so much to think about. I mean, this advice is, is going to, it's, I've, I've been t- like jotting down notes of like homework I need to do for myself in preparation of having guests on to help me create this world. So this was amazing. I mean, this was, this was so good. And like, all your advice is so solid. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I, I, uh, I, again, like I am, just for the listeners, I'm 100% not an expert on like any of this stuff, but it's no. But you came prepped, my dude. Oh, I, I I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that. It's a fun. <laughs> it was a fun. Ex- I'm so happy that to have like been able to just gush about uh, world building with you because it is something that is, you know, it's a very, it's a, a huge passion of mine. And one thing, the last thing I'll say really quickly, sure. is that, and this is just, it's an aside, but it also fits into world building. But like some of my favorite moments from collaborative storytelling sessions, actually. I would say most of my favorite moments from collaborative storytelling sessions have not been 
things that I thought they would have been. And and so they're not things that have like come from me, right? Like it's been always mm-hmm. been like player specific or things that just happen in the moment. And I think that like having that drive you through this process is going to just be really just so invigorating because you're going to come out of it and just be like, I can't believe like you know, when I had Derek on, he came up with, uh, you know, uh, a Mecha Godzilla like uh, gym leader, which of course he would. But, uh, uh, but you know what I mean? Like you're gonna have yeah, these totally. have those moments because like there's so many times in our like role play sessions where I'm like, I cannot believe y'all just did that thing, and now I have to like react to it. But I'm so excited that you did, and so glad you did. I know I've provided at least one of those moments that may have involved trying to capture a giant buck. <laughs> And getting my head absolutely smashed in. Oh, there's just been, there's, there's too many moments to really recount or just like one of our players just being so naive and just doing whatever comes, pops into their mind and then having to react to that. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being surprised and being caught off guard and, uh, and in the ideas that that I would never think of, I'm really excited for those those opportunities. That's awesome, and I think that that is really that's really the best mindset to have to it. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to just see what comes out of this. I'm 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 looking forward to like the fan art and like oh, I'm looking forward to like that would be a dream, Tommy. Yeah. Oh my gosh! If people start like doodling what we're talking about, that would be amazing. Oh, I, if I had any artistic talent, <laughs> I would start drawing Professor Buck right now, but I don't. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm again, I'm so glad you joined me. Thank you so much. This was all so super duper helpful and is going to give me uh, an amazing direction to start working in. Um, so thank you uh, again. <laughs> just I can't thank you enough. If people want to find you, Tommy, uh, and anything that you're working on, where might they do that? Absolutely. Uh, and once again, thank you for letting me uh, come on and talk about this stuff. So I am on Twitter. My personal Twitter is at awkward comma. And then you, like you mentioned before, I do host a podcast with my partner, Cassie. We look at all of the Star Wars TV shows uh, and are we're currently looking at the book of Boba Fett, which has been very fun and that podcast is distant echoes a star wars podcast and you can find us on twitter we are at distant echoes sw yes i'm pretty sure you can find them and listen to them pretty much anywhere podcasts are i feel like i've been able to find you pretty easily all over the place yes we should be everywhere and in your ears so (laughs) yeah (laughs) well if you all like what i'm doing here on victory road you can find more of what i'm doing on twitter at ikibuli i-c-k-y-b-o-o-l-e-y or on my other podcast walloping web snappers uh, which is a spider-man cartoon podcast i do with derek we mentioned a couple times here um, and also falling with style which is another me and derek production about pixar movies i also have a podcast about books and video games called novel gaming uh, where my friends vicky katie and i catch up on all of the media we've been consuming for information on this show be sure to find us on social media at victory road pod and if there's anything in the world of pokemon you know a whole lot about and you'd like to appear on the podcast or just something you'd like for us to talk about let me know until next time i'm headed back to the pokemon center to fine-tune my time machine because next time you hear from me i'll be exploring the hisui region and pokemon legends arceus see you then